Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1, and again, going to read through verse 8, and then I want to pray over the word as we receive it together today. It says, There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius, staring at him in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? The angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. And after explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you have used it to reveal yourself to us when you didn't have to. Uh, you're teaching us about yourself, your character, your nature, and what you've done for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. As we open it today, open our eyes to the wonders of it and use it to, to teach us and admonish us and build us up in our faith. Holy Spirit, translate to each heart as we have need today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are several weeks now into the book of Acts. A little bit at a time. Remember that the book of Acts is the beginnings of the church began in Jerusalem. We see the gospel going forth by the power of the Holy Spirit and it's being received and also resisted. The gospel we know is either going to be received or resisted. It requires a response. And we've seen some detailed stories. We've seen some summary in the book of Acts. And when you read about the church in summary, everything sounds great. And it is in summary. And when you get down in the details, there's a little bit of grittiness to it because, as we know, people are not perfect. We read about the first Christian martyr whose name was Stephen. And we'll be covering uh, that actually on Wednesday night when we get towards the end of Acts chapter 7. We had a preacher come in one time and he looked at me sitting there on the row and he said, you know, what, what's your name? I said, my name's Stephen. And he said, you're going to be like Stephen in the Bible. And I was like, I'm really going to need you to finish talking about that. <laughs> because if it's the one part you're talking about, I don't know if I want to receive that word. Amen. But he did. It, I, I would I could go into it, but it wasn't that he didn't think I would be stoned to death. So uh, I've got that going for me. But we read about we read about him and then how that persecution caused the church to uh, not die, but to spread. And we also learned about Saul, who went breathing threats against the church, was confronted uh, by Jesus himself on the road to Damascus and converted uh, that he was comforted by the very church that he came to persecute. And he was commissioned and he went about preaching Jesus Christ as the Messiah in all the synagogues in uh, Damascus. And then he came to Jerusalem and everywhere he went for those first few uh, times, he was resisted and they wanted to kill him. And so he has gone off to Tarsus, which is where he was from. And then the story kind of zooms out off of him. And then zooms in on this man whose name is 
Cornelius. And it says Cornelius was a centurion of the Roman military of the Italian regiment. And they were the occupying force in Israel. Rome was occupying Israel. And we know there was a lot of uh, a lot of pain and suffering that came upon the people in that. But Cornelius, while he was a part of the Roman army, was a devout man who feared God. It doesn't mean he was afraid of God. It means he had awe and respect for the Lord, which led him to seek him and obey him. And it said he would give give alms. He would do nice things for the Jewish people. He would help them. And also he was always giving himself to prayer, meaning he was seeking God for his fulfillment. He was seeking God uh, for the things that he needed. And Cornelius in verse three sees a vision, an angel appears to him. And when he would recount this later to Peter and tell him about this in verse 30 of the same chapter, he would say, when I was praying, so he was praying when this happened, a man in dazzling clothes stood before me and the angel told him, your deeds and your prayers have come up as a memorial before the Lord. Now, Cornelius was connected to uh, the Jewish people there. He would have been around the synagogue, but he wouldn't have been a part of the family. OK, he was seeking God, but he wasn't a convert. He wasn't one of them, but he knew there was something going on there. He wasn't a convert yet. And in verse five and six, the angel says, send for Simon, also called Peter. He's residing at the house of Simon the Tanner, which is in Joppa, about a day's journey away. And so he called three men of his household, two servants and one soldier. Interesting mix and sends them to 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 go to Joppa to find Peter and to bring him back as the angel Commanded. Cornelius is seeking. He knows God is there. He knows God is good. That's stirring some belief on the inside of him, faith on the inside of him. And it's drawing him closer and closer and closer until he's going to meet Jesus. And so they go towards Peter and then the story jumps to where Peter is in verse nine. It says the next day as they were traveling and nearing the city who the men Cornelius had sent, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. He became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. A voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. So Peter, we know him from being in Jerusalem. He's been traveling around place to place. And currently he's in Joppa by the sea, the big water at the house of Simon the Tanner. And it says at noon he went up on the roof to pray. Now I want you to notice something here and something that stuck out to me for Cornelius and Peter both when the Lord provided direction in their life, when the Lord ministered to their hearts, when he gave them revelation or a revealing of the things of God, what were they doing? Praying. They were praying, both of them praying. 
not for the first time, not for the first time in a long time, but praying as a part of a repetitive, even disciplined participation in the things of God. They were praying when the Lord gave them direction. We can get preoccupied with some of the acts in the book of Acts and we can disregard some of the other ones. We can see them doing these great things, these signs and wonders, these miracles, preaching sermons where 3,000 people are saved and then we overlook the part where he just went up to the roof by himself to pray to God. We can overlook the, the, the... the works that preceded the works, right? Just like we can watch somebody who's really perfected their craft, a basketball player, football player, violinist, whatever it is they may be doing that they're really good at. And we see them in performance and we say, I want to be like them. You know, kids will mimic Steph Curry shooting a jump shot, but they don't think about how many shots he put up in practice, how many drills he went through when nobody was around. Early Christians would have seen examples of solitude, fasting, prayer, private study, communal study, worship, sacrificial service and giving. They saw this modeled for them by John the Baptist, by Jesus, by the apostles and that teaching perpetuated and Saul slash Paul, which we'll talk about that, would write a lot about it, that when we engage in these activities, these spiritual disciplines, that what we're doing is we're training our natural desires towards godliness, training our natural desires towards godliness. Guess where they'll go if they're untrained? Ungodliness, right? No one, I heard this one time and it stuck with me, no one drifts towards godliness. No one drifts towards holiness. What do we drift towards? Chaos. Nothing nothing drifts towards being ordered. Things drift towards chaos. And so God has given us these avenues of grace on which to engage him that train our natural desires, which he's put on the inside of us towards godliness. Now, I want to I want you to just notice that as we as we pass by, we'll definitely have more on it later. Not today, because the Lord's been stepping on my toes with it. And so I get to step on yours. But we've got Peter and Cornelius praying when the Lord directs them. Cornelius to send for Peter. And then Peter, he's praying and he gets hungry. May I holler back down to the house, hey, it's by lunchtime. Are y'all gathering something up to eat? And it says while he's waiting, they're preparing. He's hungry. It says he falls into a trance. Trance to me, mine is drawn off from the surrounding things to something that's wholly different. Something that's that's apart from where you are or or otherwise unseen, or it can also mean amazement or fear and wonderment. And we have this happen sometimes when we're driving, right? You just be driving along, your mind will go somewhere and then it'll come back and you go, oh my gosh, I've been driving. (laughs) How far was I driving without thinking about driving? 
And you just wait. Just you're just going along. And it's it just you, your mind is in another situation. Your imagination is somewhere else. And thankfully, it's still between the lines. Amen. But that's something similar to what it's talking about here for Peter. And when he is in that in that state, it says he saw an object that resembled something like And this actually used this type of language. You remember back in Acts two, it was it was the sound like a rushing wind. There were there were things like uh, tongues of fire on top of their head. It's like these are things I'm having trouble actually describing. But this is what it was mostly like. This sheet opens up from heaven and in that sheet is every animal you can ever imagine and the and the voice says rise Peter kill and eat every hunter's favorite verse or every man at a buffet I've said it more than once rise Stephen kill and eat let's go but you had it rise kill and eat and then Peter responds and says no not not so Lord he, he objects to what's being, you know, put before him because this is every animal. He said, not, not so, Lord, because some of these animals are unclean and I don't eat animals that are unclean. I've, I've never eaten one that was unclean. And the voice says, what I have made clean, don't call impure in verse 15. And that happens three times. And then the, the item like a sheet with all the animals is taken back up into heaven as he's seeing all this. Now, if this is the first time you're hearing about clean, unclean, and these different types of foods, we're not going to go too far into it, but here's what you need to know. God brought the nation of Israel out of nothing. The man we were talking about that went up the mountain, Abraham, he called him out of, uh, out of a land that was far from where he would call him unto. He didn't have any children. God said, I will make you a mighty nation. He's an old man with an old wife, no kids. And he said, I will make you a strong nation. And we know that he did just that. And when he had this strong nation, brought them out of uh, slavery in Egypt, he gave them the law. And the law was to set them apart from the nations that they would be amongst. To not just set them apart from them, making them distinct, but to also keep them separate. This, is, this was a nation for God, from God, to God. And so he gave them the law, which included the eating and not eating of certain animals to distinguish them from the other nations and also to preserve them. These rules were exclusive, meaning they were for us and they kept us away from you. It separated them from others and then also taught them about clean and unclean. So when Peter sees this and hears this, he's thinking, this is a test. I need to pass this test because I have failed a lot of the tests. And so he says, no, Lord, not so. Not, not for me. No, I don't eat unclean food. This is what makes me different from the pagans. God, this is what makes me clean. And then the voice said, what God has made clean, don't call Impure, And you still may say, I don't really understand about all that. You can eat this animal with this hoof, but you can't eat this animal with this hoof. And, and that's OK. These laws weren't for us. They were for them again, for Israel to separate them from the nations and to teach them uh, of uh, that was the root of it, to teach them that they could not be cleansed by their actions because none of them could keep the law perfectly. And when Jesus came, he would begin to talk to them about these things in the book of Mark. And it's also in Matthew. Let me turn there. Mark chapter seven. 
And in verse 14, Jesus said, listen to me, all of you, and understand nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him. Talking about the food going into you from the outside can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. When he went into the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about this parable. And he said to them, are you also as lacking in, in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him for it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. They were taking these food laws, and again, it made them exclusive. It set them apart from other people. But Jesus is trying to tell them, yes, but your problem is still in your heart. Eating the right thing and not the wrong thing isn't cleansing your heart. The food laws have done what they were intended to do, but you're trying to make them do something that they weren't intended to do. So when he came, he is he is saying that these laws have been fulfilled. When Peter's having this vision, he's seeing that these laws are being lifted and removed because they kept you at a distance from the nations. And what did Jesus tell them? He said, stay in Jerusalem. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses. You'll tell people about me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, to all the nations. So how can we keep these in place that keep us exclusive, keep us separated from everyone else if we're going to everyone else and going out to them not to convert them to Judaism, not to convert them to the law of Moses, but to convert them into Christ followers, who was the fulfillment of all of the law and the prophets. And we'll see a ton of that later, those discussions later in the book of Acts, later in the New Testament, that there was all kinds of wrestling about this. What does this look like? But, but it, it amounts to you weren't going out to convert them to Judaism and the law. You were going out to convert them into Christ followers. So the food laws, while not for, for, for us because they, they separate us from other people, that doesn't mean you can't abstain from eating something. That doesn't mean you can't hold back from eating something because of your conscience or because of wisdom maybe in your life. Hey, amen. Proceed on with that. But you do so to the glory of God and not to separate yourselves from other people. You do so to honor him and not to make yourself a, a step above someone else. Well, I observe this and you don't. So I'm here and you're here. And what he's saying is, uh-uh. You don't get to put down a law like that. That's what he's talking about in this vision with Peter. It's given them in Acts 10 a change of perspective, a change of perspective, because instead of saying you're going to stay separate from the nations, you're clean and contact with them will defile you. It's more of like Jesus and the leper where Jesus, who was clean, touched the leper who was unclean and Jesus didn't get unclean. The leper got clean. You see what I'm saying? That's the difference. That's the change in perspective. They had been taught. If you go out as clean into the unclean, you will be defiled. And listen, there's some truth to that. 
You go out on your own into the defilement, it will defile you. But when you're full of Christ and the Holy Spirit, he's saying you don't have to be afraid to go out and minister to people because what's on them won't get on you because what's in you will get on them. You see the difference. You see the flip there in perspective. And Peter is seeing this saying, hey, previously you had these practices and these observances, which made you distinct and also made you exclusive. Now in Christ, he will make you distinct. And what makes you distinct, it will also welcome others to join you instead of being exclusive. It's inviting. So for the Christian What makes us different from the world also welcomes them to join us in new life with Christ, flipping the understanding. What I what has purified me can't be made unclean just by being around you. Now, again, there's some wisdom there. You don't just go out and roam around with you. You take Christ into the situation, because if you go in just yourself, you're going to get turned. You will. Because you are yourself. You are able to be defiled. He is not. He's wanting to flip their perspective. And so this is huge for Peter. And he's sitting there chewing on this when there's a knock at the gate. There's a knock at the gate and it's the three men that Cornelius has sent. And they say, we're here to see Peter. And Peter's sitting there thinking on these things. It says, while Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean right away. The men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked direction to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the spirit told him three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs and go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. Then Peter went down and said, here I am, the one you're looking for. What is the reason that you are here? And they recount Cornelius's story. Some of this I'm going to read, some of it I'm going to summarize because it's again, we've got to cover a whole chapter today. They recount Cornelius's story to Peter and they say, we're here because he sent us. The Lord told him that you have something to share with us. You have something to share with us. Then Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and set out with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa went with him. Peter's bringing his crew. He doesn't know what this is going to look like. He's like, I may need help. I may need witnesses. I don't know what I'm going to need. Y'all come on with me. The following day he entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, stand up. I am myself also a man. While talking with him, he went in and found a large gathering of people. And Peter said to them, you know, it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. See, this is that unclean and unclean we're talking about. But God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So may I ask why it is that you sent for me? So he even tells me, you know, this is against the law, right? 
You know this would make me unclean, but listen, here's what the Lord has shared with me. Not to call something that he has made pure unclean. He said, I'm still chewing on this. I'm still trying to figure out what this looks like, but that's why I'm not leaving. That's why I'm not living. I am a Jew. This is what I believe. This is how I've lived. But I understand the Lord is telling me something about this situation. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. Why did you call me here? And Cornelius, this chapter it repeats over and over. Cornelius tells him the story about how the angel appeared and said, send for Simon. And so he did so immediately. And then verse 34, essentially he said, Peter, you've got something to tell us. I don't know what it is. The Lord told me to send for you. You have something to tell us. And then he tells them. Verse 34, Peter began to speak. Now, truly, I understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Again, he's having a change in perspective that these people, when they come to Christ, aren't going to be lower than me or separate from me. We're all going to be at the same level in Christ Jesus, all at the same level in Christ Jesus. And now that when he says every person in every nation, it's like, oh, man, we're getting universal here. This is going to be really it just it just is it just everybody. And then he, he gets more specific. Thirty four and thirty five don't stand alone. That's why you read the whole thing. Thirty six, he says he sent. The Lord sent message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Christ Jesus, that he is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both Ju in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem. And yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Peter's preaching the message of Jesus among the Gentiles. He said, God sent Jesus and Jesus sent us to preach the message that he brought to all who would believe. Now look at verse 42. I love these two. I love that whole thing. I really love these two. Verse 42, he commanded us to what? To preach to the people and to testify that he, Jesus, is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. 43, all the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. Everyone you can underline everyone who believes, underline, I underline believes twice, in him receives, I underline that one, forgiveness of sins. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness 
of sins. He's again saying that he wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just another rebel that led people. He was appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. He's God's son. He is testified of by the prophets that everyone who believes in his name receives forgiveness of sins. Every one. And then, and we're almost done. Then in verse 44 through 48, they believe and they receive. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, those who weren't Jewish. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. They believe they receive the same spirit comes upon them in the same way that he did in Jerusalem. What once again, the same way he did amongst the Sumerians. Once again, pointing out, y'all are all coming in here at the same level in Christ. Peter said, how can we keep them from being baptized? Anybody want to argue with that? The other people that came with him was like, who, who, who can refuse them baptism into Christ Jesus when they have received just as we did? Not at a lesser level, not at a different level, not at a, not at a B class, but just as we receive. They believed they received the same spirit, not not becoming Jews, becoming Christ followers, becoming Christians, which will come up later. They were baptized, which means they received them into the fellowship, the same level of fellowship that they had with one another as Jews in Jerusalem was now being extended to the Gentiles. Aren't you glad? Because that's what we are. Most of us, at least. I don't know all of you, but pretty much all of us Gentiles outside of the nation of Israel. No longer separated, no longer segregated. What made them distinct used to keep them exclusive. Now what makes them distinct, Christ Jesus, what makes them different, invites others to come and experience the same thing. To come and be a part of the same family. Amen. So, so, so re recapping these things from today, out of Acts chapter 10, which I told you, whole chapter. That's uh, that's wild because we're 15 weeks into Acts and we're only 10 chapters in. I mean, we don't always do that. But we want to think on first Cornelius and Peter. What were they doing when the Lord moved on their hearts, when the Lord gave them these visions, when the Lord ministered to them about the direction they needed to take? They were praying. They were praying. We need to press in and continue to press in to Jesus on all the avenues of grace that he has made available to us. He is what makes us different. He is what makes us distinct and participating in the, the scripture, in prayer, in worship, in fellowship service in the body of Christ. Those are things that are going to train our natural desires towards godliness. They will. Which direction do they go if they're untrained? Ungodly. It's pretty simple. That's the way it's going to happen. They, they, we train ourselves towards godliness, our natural desires, being discipled and being disciplined just as we have 
been, being discipled in the way of Jesus, because we can look at Jesus' own life, what he modeled when he was here on this earth, and it was a life of prayer and service, wasn't it? So how can we think that we're going to follow him and not participate in the same things that he participated in when he was here? So we want to press into him on all the avenues of grace that he has made available. And again, the same thing that makes us different, Christ. What made them different was the law. The same thing that makes us different, Christ invites others to join us in this life. To preach the gospel to the people and to testify that he's the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and of the dead. All the prophets testified about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. It's our, we all have the same condition. The answer is the same for every man, woman and child who's ever lived. Amen. And it's Jesus. And he sent us to tell people about it. Peter said he sent us and they're going to be sent from here. It's just a perpetuation of believing, receiving and being sent. It's inviting, not exclusive. It's different. The church is going to be different from the world, but it's steadily inviting the world going, come on in here and, and, get, and get with him. Come on in here and meet him. Come on in here and be changed by him the same way that we were. And then closing with the words to Peter. I wrote it down wrong. It's right here. 15. What God has made clean, do not call impure. What God has made clean, what he has purified, don't call impure. And that includes you when you're in Christ. Because you know yourself, you know how you've been, you know how you were, you know even how you can be. But whether we're talking about the food laws or we're talking about ourselves, we're talking about the people that we would minister to. Don't call impure what God has purified. Instead, press into him so that your condition here starts to resemble more your condition, your position in Christ. Press in more to him so that your condition lines up with the position that he has put you in. Amen. We know there's a difference there. We've talked about that. There's a gap there. In Christ, we have a position. We're, we're united with him in, in heavenly places. That, that is where we are and our condition, how we are, how we feel, how we act here can be a little bit, can be a gap there. But what he means to do is close that gap one day at a time here in this life, more and more like him. Brian brought it out last week that we're transformed into the image of the one that we behold from glory to glory by the power of the spirit. Yeah. One day at a time, one bit at a time by the power of the spirit. And that's why we engage him on every single avenue he has made available because he has taken us who were unclean, impure and unacceptable in his sight. And in Christ made us clean, acceptable and pure in his sight. And it's not exclusive to us, but to everyone who would believe. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that the gospel of Jesus Christ 
is not to be ashamed of because it, it is your power unto salvation for all who would believe for, for the Jews first and then for the Gentile, then, then for the rest of us, that it continues to perpetuate and move forward and expand and include more and more people. Whosoever would come and believe on the one that you sent, believing on his name, that we find forgiveness of sin. And Lord, without that, what else are we going to do with the sin that we find in our heart? We've got no answer for it. We've got no hope other than Christ Jesus. And I thank you that you didn't keep it amongst a certain group of people. You didn't keep it exclusive. We would have been left out. We would have been on the outside looking in. Lord, but you invited us to come close and to drink from the same well, to eat of the same bread so that we could be a part of your family. So that Christ, who suffered for sin once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, would bring us to you, home to you. And Lord, that we would follow the, the model of these men that we've read about, that they participated in all of the avenues of grace that you had laid out and it brought them closer to you. And it allowed them to be pliable and instructable and directed when they needed to be directed. Lord, we want that same thing for our life. And I thank you that when we have doubts about who we are in you, that you'll remind us not to call unclean what you have purified and to push further into you. Lord, we love you today. And I thank you for this great salvation that you have made available to all who would believe on your name. And as we go today, I pray that we leave this place at peace and unity with one another. Lord, protect us. Keep us safe. Be with those who are out from us today for, for various reasons. Lord, but strengthen them. Give them peace. Make your face to shine upon them in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you for the body of Christ that we get to be a part of, that we get to, that we get to follow you together with because you've called us to follow you. You've not called us to do it alone. And we thank you so much for that, that we see you together. We, we, we pursue you together and we grow in this relationship with Christ together. And I thank you for the safety and the security and the blessing of that. As we go through this week, that we do so with you in mind, that we do so like Cornelius, the, the awe and respect directed towards you that, that leads us into obedience. And Lord, that we'll be on the lookout. For, for, for the next person that could be invited into this great salvation that we've experienced. Finding life, new life in you has made us different from the world. But Lord, you, you've called us into that same world to bring a difference to them so that they would hear. And just like Cornelius and his whole household, that they would receive, know you, and follow you all the days of their life. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.